Welcome to Communicast, a communication skills podcast. I'm Scott D'Amico, president of Communispond. Today I'm talking with Jay Guilford, founder of CoWorks Leadership. Jay literally used to work with a bunch of clowns as he designed Cirque du Soleil's corporate training program and now heads a leadership strategy firm that focuses on the people aspect of organizations and uses data to help individuals and teams perform at their best. Check out the episode to hear Jay discuss how to focus on your intent with communicating, the importance of keeping your ego in check, and how children's books helped him to be a better communicator. I hope you enjoy. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. And I have to say, I'm really excited for our conversation today because I know there have been times throughout my career, especially early on, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners have had the same thing where at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, I feel like I work with a bunch of clowns. And yeah. you have had that literal experience of working with a bunch of clowns. So I would love maybe if you could tell us a little bit about that and really how it brought you to where you are today. You know, I, yeah, I literally worked with a bunch of clowns and I'm not talking about the leaders that I coach in these uh, sometimes challenging organizations. Um, long ago in a land far, far away, I ran away with Cirque du Soleil, the Circus of the Sun. And you've obviously read it in my bio. I worked with the clowns. They're literally the clowns and performers and contortionists on stage. What I did was I developed Cirque du Soleil's corporate training program. And for that corporate training program, we strapped executives from Fortune 500 companies into Cirque equipment. And we flew them high across the Cirque du Soleil skies. And it wasn't just fun and games, it was really to teach these executives about communication, trust, and team building in real time. And the reason why it was such a fantastic offering was because a lot of those executives had gone to the institutes and symposiums, they had done all the other stuff, and they really wanted themselves and their high-performing team members to take it to the next level, and they were able to do that with Cirque. So yeah, bunch of clowns, not the type of clowns we're usually talking about in business life. Wow, that is that that's awesome. That I think that takes the concept of doing a trust fall to a whole new level. And I'm sure communication is a very important part of all of that. So how did you go from that to really where you are today and what you're working on today? Well, I left Cirque four years ago. I was there for uh, six and a half years. And what I saw, I had the good, great fortune of working with, you know, Fortune 100 companies. And most of the people who came to us were performing at high levels. And I realized that I wanted to Robin Hood the knowledge that I was gleaning from those leaders to others. So I had already had CoWorks Leadership Strategist, my consulting firm in place. And I decided to take that leap and to leave Cirque du Soleil uh, uh, four years ago and to really work with uh, small and mid-sized businesses to give them some of that knowledge. And it was really, it was a no brainer for me because I'd already been approached to do some of that stuff. And then I realized I could be much more effective if I could have the opportunity to go to those businesses and to work with those teams and to really help them figure, figure out what they were struggling with. So I, I would think that you know from from the time at, at Cirque du Soleil and building that that corporate leadership program there, working with leaders at some of the largest, most well-known organizations throughout the world, and now the work that you're doing with your own practice, focusing on small, medium business leaders, that 
you've encountered some folks that are really good communicators, powerful communicators, somebody that you would say, you know, this person has, has it, right? They're, they're phenomenal at communication. So when you hear this term, you know, communication skills, soft skills, really whatever you may call it today, what comes to mind for you when you hear that somebody is a really strong communicator? Well, when I hear the term communication skills, what we think we mean is delivering or maybe even receiving messages. Of course, we think of like passive versus uh, assertive versus aggressive communication styles. That's what we think we mean. But for me, I found communication is really about intention. And those people who are really good communicators in their personal lives or in business life have clear powerful, positive intentions. And I'll show you what I mean by that. When you're entering communication, you have to ask yourself, are you entering the communication to convince someone of your beliefs? Are you entering it to prove your point? Maybe you're politicking in an organization. Are you entering the communication to show how smart you are? Or is your intention to hear the other person's ideas and perspectives? to share your own ideas? Is your, is your um, purpose to co-generate something more amazing together than you could do alone? And those people who are great communicators focus on the latter. A really great communicator is probably a person who listens 70 to 80% of the time. Absolutely, listening is such a big part of effective communication. And I really like how you position that there, that communication really relies so much on the intent or intention, not necessarily of this is what I meant to say, but why am I communicating? And I think it's something that is often overlooked by a lot of people when they are communicating, they typically use the same style over and over again. But if you are communicating to persuade somebody versus if you're simply communicating to inform somebody, or if you're communicating to learn or understand their position, really your style and approach may change a little bit for, for what you're doing. And I think people sometimes miss that out. They have this one blanket style of how they communicate and they just go at their audience. Yeah. And I can tell you, I learned a lot of that again at Cirque du Soleil. I knew little about production, but I was importing pedestrians on the stage to production teams. So we wanted to give them a magnificent experience, but I wasn't a rigger. I wasn't a pyrotechnician. I wasn't a sound uh, engineer. I didn't know any of that stuff. So when I entered the table with heads of department that worked for the Olympics or Britney Spears or you know the Miss America pageant, I had to listen to their expertise and then fold it in to what we were doing. I couldn't come trying to convince them that I knew what was right because I literally didn't you're not working people, your listeners may not be working with those type of experts, but when you're communicating with someone else, they have an expertise that you don't. And if you give in, if you give over your ego and allow them to put their expertise on the table, what you're gonna co-generate is gonna be much greater. It's what I had to do at Cirque. Like I was going to touring shows. I don't know what's happening on Ovo or Curios. I don't know anything about that show and the water feature. So I have to listen to say, how can we incorporate that into this corporate offering? Yeah. Yeah, it really is amazing what can happen when you put your ego aside, keep the ego in check and really go in with that intent to understand. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes to understanding that there are egos on the other side of the table or the conversation so to speak, uh, and especially with some of the audiences you may have been working with. So, no, I think that that's great this idea of focus on the intent, 
and really focus in on listening and understanding. And as you mentioned, kind of co-creating. And that's, I think, where the magic happens, where both sides are coming together and having a true part and whatever the outcome may be. Yes. So as you've been working, you know, once again, on, on the big side with the, you know, the, the Fortune 500 companies, but, but even now working in with small, medium-sized business leaders, when you think about what are the skills that are most important today when it comes to communication skills in the workplace, what, are there skills that are really jumping out to you that are perhaps lacking? Maybe you're seeing overlap between some of the work you did before versus some of the work you're doing now. I would say now, especially with the rise in work from home, clarity and directness. I'm going to say that again, with the rise from work from home, it's clarity and directness. Realize that you're missing spot. I'm, I'm going to show you what you're missing. You're missing this. You're missing the body language. You're missing 70% of the communication. So you're not getting that body language cue to help you understand how your message is being received. So you want to be clear about your intention for communicating. You almost want to state that to the listener sometimes. You want to co-generate ideas. And then you want to ask them, how do you feel about that? What do you think? Um, um, what's coming up for you next? When I say that, what do you think I mean? Because otherwise you're going to miss it. What, what I've seen is that there's a lot of lack of communication, there's assumptions, there's a, a bad habit that we need to stop now, it's back channeling, where um, you, you're having a Zoom meeting and people are on text complaining about what's happening in the meeting. So if you're a leader, I would say what you wanna do, your team, if you're a leader, let me tell you this right now, if you have more than 10 meeting, 10 team members, they're back channeling on Zoom about what you're mm -hmm. saying. They're texting each other, they're on Slack, I promise you this. I've worked with a lot of organizations over COVID. That's happening. That's fine. That's their, that's their way of dealing with the communication. You want to get uh, ahead of that by asking them, I want four people to tell me what you think about what I just said. And Matt, you'll get the feedback that you need. So I think that clarity, getting ahead of the back channeling and understanding that you're missing a lot of the body language cues. So you have to compensate for that by asking some clarifying questions. Uh, that makes complete sense. And as I'm working with, with my team or clients, and sometimes you ask a question and then immediately it'll go to my brain of, okay, they may think I'm asking this for a different reason than I'm actually asking the question. So oftentimes I will follow up is you know, the reason I'm asking this is yes. provides a clarity to them. Sometimes it may bring the guard down, the wall down a little bit. So they feel comfortable answering, giving an honest response. And you, with regard to that, that back channeling, you know, one of the, the key things, especially as a leader to be cautious of is going out there and really laying out your position first mm -hmm. and then saying, what do you all think? Yes. Because if you haven't created that environment of comfort and trust, you're going to get a lot of agreement. Oh, yep. That sounds great. That's perfect. Yep. Versus if you ask people for their input and then you're, you're sharing your view uh, you're going to get people that are really opening up versus just kind of getting a bunch of agreements and yes. And then uh, you have to listen. That's a key thing is really listening to what people are saying and taking it in. And the, you know, the old saying of you, know, a leader that doesn't listen will be soon surrounded by people who have nothing to say or something, something along those lines. I love it. Yeah, that's it's true. That's I, and I mean, I think we're suffering death by zoom. So one thing that I do, I just, we just did a, um, a series with the financial services firm 
And, you know, a lot of people come to me and they say, my team doesn't talk. My team's been on Zoom all day. One trick that leaders can use or anybody who's hosting a meeting is to ask a question and get people talking within the first two minutes. Studies have shown that if you get everyone communicating within the first two minutes, then they're more likely to communicate through the meeting. So it's not even about having your camera on or turning your camera off because that's not the silver bullet. A lot of uh, organizations are now saying, we require your camera on, Mm -hmm. that's fine. Doesn't mean I'm gonna talk. I often give a quota. I say, here's what we're starting with. I want four people to give me some feedback about our agenda today or whatever the item I start with. So I don't say, does anyone have anything to offer? I set a quota. I want four people. Or I say, we're going to go around and everyone say something about this. Or even if you say something so simple and banal, like, I want everyone to tell me what you had for breakfast today. Just the fact that people are communicating early on will keep them communicating through the meeting. It's definitely important to get people engaged sooner rather than later. And you hit on something really important is around how you, how you phrase things. The words and the way that you say things or position them really do matter and have an impact. So for example, if you're trying to get questions and you simply say, okay, does anyone have any questions? And if you think back to maybe when there's an in-person meeting and I've been in meetings like this where the meeting's about to end, the leader's gathering all their stuff and like, all right, does anyone have any questions? And with yeah. that, they're saying that they don't want to hear questions. They're, they're going through the motions. They're asking it for the sake of asking it versus simply stopping and saying, okay, you know, what questions do you have? Implying that I, I know that you have questions. Then as you're going through, okay, we have time for two more questions. Really starting to put it out there. That simple tweak of does anyone have any questions to what questions do you have makes a big difference. And you know, I've noticed that even just at home, tweaking the, the way that, you know, with my, how my wife and I communicate, you know, oftentimes as I'm coming down, finishing up work, she's perhaps getting something ready for dinner, lots of stuff going on. And I'm tired. A lot of times I would just say, uh, do you need any help? And oftentimes it was no, 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 I don't need anything. I'm like, oh, good. Um, but, you know, as, as I realized, okay, you know, she's been busy all day as well. She's tired. And I simply say, what can I do to help? And from there, still, oh, you know, set the table, do this, do that. So, that, that subtle tweak really does have a big difference when getting engagement back from people. And, and the, the intention behind the question, your intention is to be excused out of helping, maybe not you, but someone, whereas opposed to, I want to yes. outline the ways I can help. One great thing that leaders can do in terms of getting more commu- uh, participation, uh, as we were talking about, is just send the agenda out early and say, everyone come with three questions. Take two minutes to build a survey monkey and say, you're required to input three questions that you're going to have about this before the meeting. There are so many ways to get ahead of that stuff. And like you said, it's just tweaking the way that you ask the question, putting a quota in in, or, or, or opening it up instead of making it a binary yes or no. Like, how can I help as opposed to can I help or do you need my help? Those things are really helpful. Absolutely. No, it makes a big difference with regards to engagement how people feel, and it signals your intent. As you mentioned, I have one that sometimes I was asking to kind of be excused from helping versus others. I really wanted to get in there and help. So how you phrase things does, does make a big difference. So Jay, as you think about your career journey, going from you know, working with clowns to, to where you are today, and even before that, and where you're heading now, and the projects you're working on now, 
you know, what's maybe one or two skills that you could point to throughout your career, some key communication skills that have really helped you and led to your success? I think the biggest, uh, Scott, is um, erasing the ego. And it does, it's not a technical skill, but again, if you respect the expertise that you're interacting with, then you're gonna erase everything you're thinking on the table and enter the communication with the understanding that we're co-generating really good ideas. So what we have to do in, in my career, I'm working with people whose high stakes leaders, whose names are on buildings, whose names are on packages that you see in the drugstore. So those leaders have very strong and definite opinions. And also they're working with a huge workforce and I need to listen to them to understand what they need and then translate that into a solution that will yield them results. I can't do that if I come in with some prefabricated idea about what works best. So I've often trained new consultants and they would say, oh, I know what's going on here. I know that she's this way. I know that he's that way. I'm like, you don't know anything. And we're going to enter the situation understanding that you don't know anything because we need to uncover what's best. And if we go in with some preconceived, it's like going in saying, I'm going to serve peanuts and shellfish and everyone's allergic to it. So it's like, that's a great menu, but it's not going to work for this crowd. You really need to think about what people want and deliver to them the menu that's going to work best. So it's really erasing the ego and going into it with a co-generative approach. I think that's really, really important. And going into it from this mindset of, quite honestly, every interaction that you have, you could be learning something new, whether it's a conversation with my nine-year-old or the conversation with the, you know, the president of the company. I'm going to take something away from each and every one of those interactions that I can perhaps adapt, make my own, maybe learn something that I should do, that I should not do. But it's true. If you set that ego aside and realize, I don't know everything. It's not all about me, but with this interaction, what can I take away? What can I learn from it? How can I incorporate it, make it my own, whatever it may be. And it's, it's I think, challenging for a lot of people to do is just to, to go in with that mindset that everybody brings something to the table. You may not agree with all of it, but there's likely going to be something of value there if you go into it with that open mindset and set the ego aside. Yeah, you want to think of your knowledge as ingredients and not a menu. So if you think of it as ingredients, and you, you can build something that they might want. But if you think of it as a prefabricated menu, you can put everything on that menu that no one wants. So your knowledge is important. Those are just ingredients for the conversation. It's like stone soup. Everyone's going to come with something. I love the, the concept of knowledge being ingredients versus a menu. And I think a lot of times, especially folks in sales can, can fall into that. They want to go in and just tell, tell them all about the menu, all the different things that they have versus really understanding, well, what do you like or what allergies or sensitivities do you have doing that discovery and then focusing on the things that maybe you do have on the menu or maybe something that's off the menu that you're able to uh, you know, custom create for them now that you've gained some more ingredients uh, from, from your discovery questions. Now, I, I love that scenario. That's great. And I would say another thing that's really just for sales, for anyone really, but especially for sales, no matter why people are coming to you, they're coming to you. Uh, it's it embedded in emotion. So what we've learned when I was at Cirque, uh, I was on the marketing and sales team. I would 
I, primarily what I was doing when we built the offer was a consultancy sale. So people come to you for a product or a service, not simply because of a technical need, but because there's something emotional behind it. So if you can understand the why of it and the value prop, if you can understand what's valuable to them, then you can give them a valuable value proposition. You can talk to them about what's valuable to them and not like these features because mm -hmm. maybe someone just wants black leather because they like black or maybe they want a couch that reclines. But it, it doesn't matter if you talk to them about the black leather and they want the uh, reclining feature, you're missing the mark. You know, so it's, it's it's that emotional pill and understanding and listening and being active in the listening, not in the talking. Yeah, it is. It's it's about getting to, as you mentioned, the why, you know, what caused them to reach out for co consulting services or communication skills training? They're not doing it just for the heck of it. There's something behind that. And it's usually three or four layers deep yes. that, that you're going to have to dig to get to that. And especially from more so a corporate standpoint, you know, companies typically make purchasing decisions for one of five reasons or five buckets, right? It's going to impact their productivity, their income, their expenses, their reputation, or the safety and security of their employees, or a combination of those five things. Yes. So if you continue to do your discovery and find out which, which driver is happening right now, are they having productivity issues? Is, is their brand taking a hit for whatever reason? Yeah. Finding that, what's the impact of that? And then focusing what your solution can do to, to solve for that specific problem. I think that's the key to, for businesses to make decisions, understand, okay, here's what I'm facing. How can you help me with this specific things? You know, that's great. You've been in business for so many years. That's great. You have offices all over the place. I doesn't really impact me. I need to know about this particular thing. Yes, I agree. So Jay, as you think of somebody throughout your career that has had an impact on, on your communication style. Maybe you've taken something from them or they've given you some sage feedback or, or advice. You, and you don't necessarily need to name names, but who's, who's someone that really impacted you and what have you taken from them with regards to your communication style? Well, I thought about this question, Scott, and it's not someone, it's something. And I brought yeah. the thing with me. It's uh, children's books. So, so this is something that this is a, a life hack for communication that I can give to a lot of leaders. I have a very academic background. I went to Emory University undergrad, Columbia University grad school, and I wrote a thesis. It's highly academic. My partners also went to those types of institutions. So early on, we had a very academic style of communicating, very long sentences and our proposals uh, sentences would be paragraphs long and we were losing business. And then I realized that I needed to simplify my communication style. So I actually began investing in and reading children's books. And what's interesting about children's books is that they're actually dealing with complicated issues of morality and citizenship. Um, and they're teaching kids these things uh, on a sixth grade level. So the communication about something very complicated and abstract is really clear. So it's not really a person, it's uh, a thing, it's children's books. So I, I honestly, I'm writing a book now and I read chapters of these children's readers a lot because it helps me to simplify my style and really get to the essence of what I'm trying to say. That's brilliant. And I will say that 
academic style of writing, you know, we see it a lot here is impacting businesses pretty dramatically. Because if you think about all throughout school, how are you taught to write or what are the guidelines that are put around writing? It is very long-winded. You know, every paragraph got to have your, your five sentences, multiple this, multiple pages. You get into college, it's okay. This paper needs to be you know, 10 pages long or 12,000 words. And I know I'm guilty of it as well as, you know, maybe fudging some of those fonts or you know, <laughs> tweaking my margins a little bit or breaking apart all my contractions just to hit that. And that's bled over into the corporate workspace where emails are unbearably long, where you, know, you feel like you're getting carpal tunnel as you're scrolling through it on your phone, trying to read it. People are just too, too verbose. So being able to, as you mentioned, take these complex concepts and break them down very simply, you know, shorten down your paragraphs, shorten your words, and ultimately getting to the point and then providing your, your supporting details after that is key. And, and for me, the two places I learned it, one again was at Cirque, when you are, when the technicians are talking to a Russian contortionist who's 40 feet in the air and English is her third language, you have to be direct, you have to be clear, you have to use short sentences. Um, but also when I'm speaking with business leaders and we're consulting for them, uh, developing leadership workshops, our audiences are hugely global. Like we just had a, a session in Chicago with an engineering company and it was a hugely global uh, VP and C-level leadership team. I need to communicate in a way that speaks to audiences um, if their language, if my native language is not their first language, it's usually their third sometimes. So even when you think about reaching consumers or reaching other clients or, or communicating to your team that may be global or you want to be global, you want your communication to be simple and uh, direct and effective. Children's simple. books are the way, Scott. Children's books yes. are the way of the communication future. <laughs> simple, direct and effective. That's a great way to look at it. That's how you make things happen. So as we're wrapping up here, I want to, one, want to be respectful of your time. You know, any closing thoughts that you may have or tips, last minute tips to share, perhaps somebody that's new into the workplace, mid-career, midstream, making a career pivot, any advice that you have to them around the importance of communication skills or perhaps something to really focus on? I would say um, I work with a lot of leaders. So now I'm going to Robin Hood down the knowledge from those leaders whose names are on the building to people like us. Our names are not on buildings yet. My name is not on the building yet. Yes. But for someone aspiring to become a better communicator or for someone who wants to lead larger teams, I would say boldness and communication. That's really important. Delete all of the hedging words or phrases. Delete anything that makes you sound apologetic and put your idea on the table. It is about co-generation. So your ideas are one of many ingredients. It is an ingredient. So there are two things you're co-generating. So actively listen and incorporate those ideas. When you're sharing yours, don't fudge or, well, I thought that maybe we might want to probably push that over to the next quarter because, no, here's how he said, we should push that over to the next quarter. And then you also, that's the first thing. So stop fudging, stop hedging, be direct, be bold. And then secondly, understand what's important to the stakeholders or the organization or the person listening, and then communicate the why in that language. I think we should push it over to the next quarter. 
I think so because your team is taxed with the XYZ account. We said that we don't need to get this done until a Q4 of 2000, blah, blah, blah. And because we have this, that, and this on the table. Those are the business reasons why. So be direct, be bold, and really house it in terms of the impact on the organization or the stakeholder. That's my advice. Great advice. I, I love it. And it, it reminded me of when my wife uh, was first starting her career, she was an elementary school teacher and she had an administrator who would always say, we probably might could do that. And she was like, that is like the least committal way of putting something probably might could do that. So be bold, be direct, support it with, uh, with your evidence to help move projects forward. Jay, thank you so much for joining me today. I really did enjoy our conversation. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Scott. A special thanks again to my guest, Jay Guilford. One of the big things that jumped out to me from this episode is to be bold and direct with your communications. Be sure now not to confuse this with being rude or being a jerk. The key is not to hedge your communications with words or phrases that pull power and strength away from your key message. If you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to Communicast so that you can be notified of new episodes. Thanks and have a great day.